Okay, so we're having Stack Exchange official podcast number two now? Uh, official podcast number 86, 88, 88. <laughs> I think we should renumber back to one or we're two. We're back to two. We're back to two. Well, because this is the Stack Exchange podcast. I think the nature, the nature I know. of it is changed, And next right? week it will be the Stack Exchange podcast co-starring Scott Hanselman, so number one. Oh, nice. So Scott Hanselman's going to be on for sure? We can. Uh, he is scheduled, although he's... That's good, because I don't think Scott Hanselman gets enough exposure. I was concerned. <laughs> no, not, no, he's not on the iTunes. He's not around enough places. Nearly I'm nearly just kidding. Enough. I love Scott. He's great. I mean, I, I, he's a very, very good person. But, but yeah, yeah, no, he's always fun to have on the podcast. So I, I, of course, look forward to that. One thing I wanted to bring up that I we talked about last week was um, this website, thecontentfarm.net, which yes. is a study of the... Uh, the content, content farms. so Joel, yeah. did you want to explain what content farm sort of means in sort of modern <laughs> internet terms? A content farm is a site full of crappy, cheap content. It's, it's sort of answers it, to questions like how to drink a glass of water, and or how, how to wear to a ask, hat, how or... to ask a question on Stack Overflow, how to wear a hat, right? And every time yeah. you find one of those 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 articles, you 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 regret it. You immediately say, "Gosh, I wish I did not find that article." Well, it's interesting for us because this site is hilarious, by the way. It's written by actual writers who the are very, very funny and talented. Farm.net is a parody. It's a parody of content farms. Uh, unlike me. Uh, but uh, one of the things that's interesting about this is that this – Joel and I like to look at this because this is kind of what we're trying to avoid. When we create new Stack Exchange sites, yeah. one of the metrics we look at is this, does this sort of make the internet better? In a, in a way that we can legitimately say with a straight oh, face. Excellent, excellent segue to the website that we closed today. <laughs> yeah, we. I think we had mentioned that last week, but but the content farms. Did we? When you when you work. land on a bad page, and it's like, okay, this page was not helping me. This page is not really making helping me solve whatever problem I have. Right. Like, say you actually ask, like, how do I put on a hat? Yeah. If it's written by somebody that really didn't care about putting on a hat, if it's written by like the the guy or gal who's obsessed yeah. with hats and knows everything about hats and like dedicated their life that's to following cool. up on hats, yes. that's cool. That's but awesome. that page that's... is not on WikiHow or eHow or Answers.com or any of those content farms. Yes, and, and I think also they start content. out with the wrong premise. The premise is let's create a page for the express purpose of just getting page views. It's not because sure. we love hats, which is the correct reason to write a page about hats, uh, or that at least you're interested, or you have a genuine interest in hats, but like it, it it's purely a financial yeah. incentive. Like we're only doing this because we want to make money at it. We're not doing it because we actually give a crap about uh, hats or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, well, they're paying somebody between a dollar and at most fifteen dollars to write that that page, um, and fifteen dollars would be high. And usually, it's I think four dollars, and so somebody will spend fifteen minutes. Um, doing as much cut and paste style research as they can as quickly as they can on the internet. Just like let's find all the other pages on the subject and cut and paste something together um, that kind of passes for content. Yeah, it's it's really just a depressing world that you mm -hmm. sort of end up in if 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 everything was like that because it's just it's completely bloodless, right? It's it, it's for the wrong reasons. Nobody really cares, and it's actually not even that helpful because you have people writing about it that don't. They're not invested in the topic. They're only writing about it because someone paid them to write it's it. It's extremely negative because they don't do enough research to actually give you a good content. All they're doing is creating another source of content. I mean, all the research they did was on the Internet anyway, right? So they're not adding any facts to the Internet. They're just, you know, at best summarizing something that they found in a bunch of other places um, without knowing anything about the topic. And so it's actually a lot of times the pages are downright harmful. And at absolute best, you read it and you say, I did not learn anything. That was a waste of my reading this subject. And, you know, it's funny because just last night I ended up on a page like that. I'm trying to remember what I was searching for. It was something weird. But, like, of course, eHow was the first result. And I just groaned. I was like, oh, God. Right. I know if I click on this, nothing good is going to happen. But, like, I, I don't know why I even did it. And, of course, I, I, I went there and I, was, I immediately regretted it. I was like, <laughs> I have learned nothing yeah. about what I wanted to find. But I was desperate. I think what it is, you're desperate. Like, you just want some little piece of information that's actually good. Right. You have sort of the scent of information, and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe this will have a link to a page that has, that has the. And the trouble is that the internet used to be, before these content farms came out with a billion topics, the internet used to be full of um, all kinds of little dinky. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like little, little works of love where somebody wrote their entire 
400 Like the GeoCities page. page. The yeah. GeoCities page. And it would be like, all right, here's everything you need to know about the battle of whatever the heck, you know? And it would be like way too much information of some guy that just knows everything about that subject. It would just go on and on and on in utter detail with links and hyperlinks and references and 8 by 10 glossy photographs with a paragraph at the bottom of each one explaining what each one is. And that was awesome. And the trouble is now every one of those has got 23 links ahead of it in Google um, full of like, you know, eight sentence crap about how to drink water. Uh, yeah. So you can never find those excellent labors of love that are that are often buried very, very, very deep. So that's why the contentfarm.net is, is hilarious because it's a parody of all those sites and an, a brilliant parody. It's yeah. really well written. So I encourage everyone to go check that out. But um, did you want to talk about why, how things work, which we, that site didn't make it out of private beta. Yeah, uh, you looked at it much more than I did. I was very skeptical this was going to work even a little, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, howthingswork.stackexchange.com. And I, was there a history to that thing? Was it called something else originally as a proposal? Or was it always how things work or how it's stuff It's pretty much works? always that. Yeah. And I think the idea is you'd go on there and you'd say, you know, how do ping pong balls work? And then somebody would have a detailed explanation of how ping pong balls work. And um, the, the trouble is what we were doing is making our own little free content farm. And... Yeah. Um, just in the early private beta, just a few days into the beta, um, you know, the first problem we started seeing is people cutting and pasting, you know, big blocks from Wikipedia and images from other websites. And um, that's not really fair play. And it's also not that useful. Uh, and so early on, I think we kind of warned the, the community in the meta, like this site might have to go if it's not making the internet better. And if it just winds up being a bunch of copyright violations, and if, and if I would be sad to land on any of these pages um and and the way we decided to judge it sort of was at the end of the week we were going to take you know the top tw 10 best questions that we could find on how things work and literally cut and paste the search of the question text you know the title into google and see what the top result or two results gave you and just decide are we producing pages that are better than the than the, than the best stuff that's already out on the internet um and we really weren't. I mean, for every one of these topics, there are already some really fantastic pages. You know, by this point in the internet, if you want to know how a Blu-ray player works, there's some there's some awesome stuff with pictures and diagrams and illustrations and you know the eight by ten glossies and all that stuff. Well, one thing that that you had noted that 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 you guys figured out that I actually didn't figure out was that our our we tend to do better on topics where the information is is moving very rapidly, and I think programming. Is one of those topics where you know everything's changing all the time anyway, so you can come out and be the canonical source on new thing, pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. Whereas how things work, I mean, how many new things are being invented that haven't been talked about? Yeah, forget new. What are the chances that any of the people that participate in that site are really the right person to answer, the, you know, the question in in, in depth? Yeah, and the audience is all wrong. I mean, it has the gadgets problem, doesn't it? It's like the site of, we yeah. had about gadgets. Yeah, you need way like... too many people. You need to, to, to actually find good people to write any of those topics is not something that we're going to be able to do on that site. Uh, we, we could about programming languages. Obviously, if you go into programming and ask a question about, you know, monads or something, you will get an awesome... You know, one of the things about Stack Exchange in general is that those really awesome, in-depth, fantastic answers kind of appear, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but just, you know, the right person at the right time, and they've got the motivation to write a really good, long, awesome piece. Uh, and then you get some awesome content. Um, but You know, I'm always having to defend this to people because they're always, they're always asking, you know, why don't you have just one giant site? This comes up all the time and it gets so tired of answering it. But this is the one giant site problem. I mean, how, how things work is in a, mic a microcosm of the, when you, when you don't have a topic <clears throat> that's specific enough and you don't have anything it's like why am I in the room with these people it's like say you went to a party Joel you uh, don't know anybody no you don't everybody's talking about different things that they you are. probably don't care about right it's like, why am I even here it's like what a way who goes to parties like that no this is not a party even this is like I got to get out of here <laughs> <laughs> you want to have a party where it's like wow people are talking about like games or you know something that you like that you have you, you have a shared interest in that's why you're in the room and if you can't okay. create that party environment where you know people have stuff in common then you're just destined for failure and that's you know people because i was just reading on a meta where somebody's saying you always bring up the yahoo answers uh, uh example uh you always go back to that well and even if you don't have the scale of yahoo answers it's it's 
I mean, it's 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 the party problem. I mean, just imagine yourself going to a party where you have nothing in common, you don't know anybody, and nobody's talking about anything you care about. What's your incentive to stay there? Well, even at the scale of Yahoo Answers, where they have a billion people and they're the biggest site in the world, they don't have uh, the ability to get detailed questions answered on any topic. The, the question is never seen by anybody that both knows the answer and has the motivation to write a good, clear answer. It's it's seen by, you know, other 12-year-olds. <laughs> and then there's also the filtering answer. problem. Like, say you say you had the theoretical perfect filter that delivered just the things you wanted to see directly to you. I'm not, this is a fantasy, first of all. This is like the God algorithm of, you know, O of 1. <laughs> right. So it's, it's like not a really possible. of Google and Twitter. It's like you're following and you just get like the... the you just magically get everything that you want to see. It's you like, still well, okay. wouldn't find that those awesome things that you I, I think that's just a ridiculous thing to compare against because yeah. it's like it's like another fantasy but so in a normal in a norm, in the normal world you have to filter somehow like either you do work the more work you have to do to filter the less fun you have it's like say you go to a party and there's there's three people there that are kind of interesting that that are talking about things you want to talk to but there's a whole bunch of people that are sort of bothering you <laughs> Right. As you go through the room, they're like, oh, hey, Jeff, what about, what do you think about, you know, stock options? Like, I don't know anything about that. I don't care. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you're trying to get to the one person who's talking about, say, Portal 2, because I just played that last week. It's like, oh, I would love to talk about that. But in the, in the intervening distance, there's, you know, 40 people. They're going to, you know, engage you with irrelevant conversation from your perspective. So why not just go to that one party where everybody's talking about Portal 2? It's all about and, attention. Yeah, well, that was sort of the argument for, for Unix as a site was like, yes, you could go to super user, and it's on topic there. But for super user, it, it, it's more of the generalist population of like, you know, you have Mac, you have Linux, you have PC, and it's people that just love computers in all forms. Whereas you might just say, hey, you know, this is a cool party, and there's a little bit of Unix here. But if I go to the Unix site, it's all the topic that I love, mm -hmm. right? I don't have to think. I don't have to filter. I don't have to be engaging in extraneous conversations. I can just focus on that one thing. And I know everybody else is in the room for the same reason. So I, I, I get really fatigued explaining that to people. Um, and, and I'm not saying we get it perfectly right. There's certainly overlap. Like the classical example we've talked about before is uh, URL rewriting questions. Um, can be asked on like basically four different sites. So yeah. it, it's not like it's a perfect system, and I didn't say it was. But I no, know what yeah. fails is the party where you have nothing in common with people, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Right. Probably, Even at the yeah. cost of a little bit of duplication. The, the weakness is that, you know, if you go to one of those general purpose sites, they tend to, they don't work for most topics. They work for a few topics. But if they ever do get up to scale on a new topic, they sort of, uh, let's they sort of degrade gracefully, which means like you get one answer. It may not be that good, even if it's completely off topic because it'll never get close. If you go ask a dog question or something on Quora, which has, you know, it has a few dog questions, not very many. You'll, you can still, you still have a chance of getting an answer. It's not going to be great because this isn't the site for people that love dogs, but somebody will talk to you about dogs. Yeah, it's sort of an open question, like how efficient can you make the magic algorithm that says yeah. if you post a dog question on a general purpose site that's just a network of people. I mean, say it happens to be a network of just like the most brilliant people ever born, then that can work. I mean, that's sort of the illusion. Like I participate in some forums that are just everybody there is really good at mm -hmm. something. And they're all really smart. So when you ask a question, this happens on Stack Overflow too, actually. You could ask actually anything on Stack Overflow and probably get a really good answer, believe it or not. But but that's still – we still don't want that, and I want people to understand why. <laughs> because should, if you, if you allow enough anything. of that, yeah. you a eventually lot of times, start breaking the system. Like you're, you're actively harming the system that you've built. A lot because of you have the, these smart people, you feel like, oh, I can you know, down do whatever I want. A lot of community sites have solved this problem by creating like an off-topic. So didn't Code Project have an, an off-topic uh... – uh, now I'm trying to remember. Remember the Code Project? You know who was on Code Project a lot is Josh. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think that they had here, where is the Q&A? So they had C Sharp, ASB.NET, VBNet. But then they also just have like a generic, like, uh, let's just hang out site. Remember this question? All message boards? I think I thought they had a message board that was like just off topic. Uh, yeah. Well, and you always told me how how much you dislike the, the off topic part of Joel and software discussion. That the lounge on uh, Code Project is uh, the largest forum they have by far in terms of number of posts. And you're really? not allowed and that's to just ask the, that's just the talk about anything, whatever one. Yep, yep. So what are they talking about right now? SkyDrive, recent bun fight, the email saga. What's a bun fight? 
Oh. I, maybe I think I don't want to know. Anyway, um, yeah, there was a there was a different problem with the Jolon software off topic. Uh, it was, uh, but uh, it's just drama. I mean, drama is like sure people love the drama, and yeah. like it's just not <laughs> constructive. No, it, it's not really. It's it, fun. It's interesting that that Code Project actually probably has more discussion on the site that forbids code discussion than on all their <laughs> other sites put together, if I'm not mistaken. I, well, this, I'm is, why, this is why I tell people, you know, I'm like, look, we it, it takes a tough man to make a tender chicken. We have to make some hard decisions here about, like, what we're going to allow and what we're not going to allow. And it's, you know, sometimes it's going to look harsh. It's going to look like, wow, you're not letting us have fun. What mm -hmm. a jerk you are. Mm -hmm. You know, but there, there there's a reason we do that. It's not because, you know, I, I, I hate fun. <laughs> Uh, but we've just we know where that road goes, and there's also like like you point out, there's places to go. Like if you really want that, there's plenty of places to go for that. Right. But the places you go for really high quality signal noise are really rare. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you're trying to protect. So, I mean, sometimes you have to make those those hard decisions. So I I have yeah. something else I actually wanted to talk about that's actually a code thing. If that's okay, I know we're getting all technical on the podcast now. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's talk about um, the code thing. So we had, we had done a lot of work on um, – we've added a lot of features to the Stack Exchange engine in the last three months. And I think we got a little bit ahead of ourselves because we were actually uh, – we moved from the Oregon server farm to the New York server farm. Gosh, when did that happen? In November? October? Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. No, it was even before that. Uh, one thing that happened is we, we basically kind of doubled our speed when we did that because we went up a generation. And uh, the new Intel chips are really good on servers. They're – probably one of the best they've had in a long time for servers. So the net effect is we basically doubled in speed. So I think we started to get a little sloppy about <laughs> speed issues. Um, and then we were adding a bunch of features that were doing more work. You know, mm -hmm. It wasn't just us getting sloppy. It was us adding stuff to make the site cooler and better and more interesting and more useful. Um, like, for example, suggested edits. Um, right. And then so we started looking. We, we've, we've used some commercial profilers. I believe we used Ants and the one from, from Redgate. And we were getting some results there, and we improved some uh, some sort of underlying systems that we use. Like one of the one of the issues, and you had warned me about this, and I I had it in the back of my mind, but it really is true. Like when you move to a multi-tenancy model, where the old model of Stack Overflow was pretty much it was a dedicated server that only did Stack Overflow, mm -hmm. and when we had server fault, it was just a server that did server fault. So on that server, the code had to make no decisions, very few decisions about like what side am I. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a very minimal set of code. We went from that to a model very much like the Stack Exchange 1.0 world of this server is serving up 40 different websites. So right. every request that comes in, it has to make hundreds and possibly thousands of decisions per page about what do I display based on what site I am. It's okay. the same underlying engine. Everything's just making one more a level of, of indirection. Yeah, everything's one more level of indirection. That's right. And um, that code wasn't as efficient as it could have been. So that's one thing the commercial profiler got got us was that. And also we use uh, another thing that we made much more efficient was uh, we use Redis as a shared memory uh, cache. So in other words, say you have five web servers um, and the same user, let's say you're doing round robin, so users will go to pretty much any server at any time. Well, user... Uh, is on server one, then magically gets switched to server three, yeah. but he's browsing, let's say, the Java questions. Okay. Well, server three may not know that you know he was browsing a list of hundred, the hundred most recent Java questions. So then server three would potentially then requery the database for this information when server one sort of already had done that work. Mm -hmm. He just switched from server one to server three. So what you need at that point is you need a shared memory cache right. that's sort of at a higher level than the server. Um, and that's what Redis does for us. It's basically a dedicated server through the network that whenever you uh, put stuff in that cache, it's sort of globally available to all servers. So then you can move from server to server and say some guy on server five happens to look at the last hundred Java questions. Well, then bam, he gets a cache hit, right, off the network. So now yeah, let's say that you're, um, you're just a um, Joe.net programmer here and you're using, I don't know, Link or something and you're doing a SQL query. So it says, you know, select top 100 questions that match blah, blah, from whatever. With, these are all the columns that I need. And that's your query. And, uh, and, you, um, and, and so you go execute that on, on, in link or whatever from .NET. Now, how does it go to Redis? Like, how does it know, oh, let's ask Redis first if it has the answer to this query? Oh, it's an explicit call. I mean, oh, we don't okay. automate that automated. because there's... No, 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 no. You, it's a very common pattern, though. It's like, okay, come up with a cache key, yep. 
a name for this thing. Okay. Uh, check to see if it exists. Okay. If it doesn't exist, you know, do the work. Um, so everywhere where actually I go to the this database. could have some sort of lambda or something that does this pattern. It happens all over the place. Right. Uh, the check uh, if this particular yeah. form of thing is already cached. Yeah, and usually you cache it for like a minute or two minutes or something like that. And uh, the other sort of funny thing, funny slash scary thing, is when you have 40 different sites, yeah. they're all operating at a much smaller scale than, than, say, Stack Overflow or even super user or server fault. So the cache hit ratio gets way lower. So what you end up having to optimize for sure. is not, the caching, when it's there, is working brilliantly. I mean, for Stack Overflow, we get incredible performance. But on yeah. smaller sites... The no cache performance becomes really critical. In other words, you have to the first time you do the work, it has to be fast. Because so sometimes could... the philosophy is, if it doesn't, if it's not fast, it doesn't matter because then you're stuff in the cache. But on a site where that work happens like every sixty seconds, because nobody's there to make the caching work, right? Then all of a sudden the performance is really sucky for for those few and, users that are there. And you're taking up space in the cache. I mean, this is like a common like CPU problem, right? Which is you don't want to fill up your level one cache with all kinds of garbage you're never going to use again. You'd rather reserve yeah. that for the most important things. Right. Well, we don't necessarily worry. We have so much memory that we don't necessarily worry about that. But sure, I mean, you could certainly look at that. Right. Of like, don't cache it the first time, cache it like the second or third time. Or we don't actually have that level of intelligence yet. <clears throat> or so, just don't I, cache I it at all this. for the small sites. Just like let them be non-cached. Well, it doesn't really hurt. It doesn't cost us anything. We have t so much memory. Like a, we have 16 gigs per uh, web server. Right. Um, and our Redis server itself has 16 gigs, and I don't think we even get remotely close to 16 gigs on the on the Redis server, which is the shared memory state. Um, so anyway, this is a very long-winded story, story, but it's all stuff we've been doing over the last couple of months to, to, to make this work. We improved the Redis layer, so it's very, very fast. That's actually open source now as uh, booksleeve.net, which book is booksleeve because it's a, it's a sleeve around a dictionary, because Redis is a dictionary key pair. Like a shared memory, so that's the little name they came up. Naming how, is hard. how do you spell book sleeve? Uh, book, b o o k s l e e v e. Dot net. Just like you would yeah, normally. No, it doesn't come up. Just try book sleeve and then space Redis. Book sleeve Redis. I'm pretty. Did you mean sure Reddit? No, we did not mean Reddit. Um, Code.google.com/p/booksleeve. Yeah, that's it. Right, so Mark Ravel worked on that. That originally comes from Miguel de Acasa. He wrote some bindings for Redis for C Sharp. Oh. And we eventually ended up re-architecting. He just wanted to does he do everything? I mean, good God. Yeah, he's 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 pretty he's all over the place. <laughs> he's pretty he guy. Is. He's a great guy. Yeah. But uh, our Redis bindings are really top notch now. I mean Mark has been working diligently on them. They're very, very fast. They ha they have all kinds of concurrency tweaks, so they can happen do as much work as possible um, asynchronously. So you're not blocking when you don't need to be. That was sort of the problem with Redis was, it's very fast, but it would block, the way Miguel had written it. That's my understanding. When you're writing um, things to it, you mean? You kind of. It depends. Like sometimes you don't you don't need an immediate answer. Okay. Look at Mark's code for the canonical. I'm I'm summarizing. It sounds great. Level. It's pipeline asynchronous, multiplexed, and thread safe. I know. Look at all those buzzwords. Congratulations, it's... Mark Ravel. Yes. That's... Get a few more. He, he did A plus for buzzwording. But no, it's a really nice library. So if, if you need to do any shared uh, cache, you can benefit from our work. And, you know, it's open source. You can contribute to it. And uh, it's awesome. And that's the kind of stuff that we were working on over the last few months um, for performance. So <clears throat> the the profilers that I talked about, like the ants and the Redgates profiler, tend to be statistical. They'll isolate stuff like we, we isolated the Redis stuff mm -hmm. and the... Um, the, the loading the settings, like the thousands of times per page you go, am I server fault? Am I super user? Am I, you know, gaming.stack? Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, what are my settings? Like that all got optimized based on that. But we still had performance issues. And what's funny about this is we were struggling. We were like, why? Like, in fact, the other day I was, I was going to a meta of some small site because that's kind of my job. And I was noticing, why does it take like almost two seconds to load the meta? I was like, this is crap like I don't like this experience and I was noticing it happened like every 60 seconds like every time I went back to that meta there was so few traffic on the meta mm -hmm. that I was hitting the the no cache state pretty much all the time mm -hmm. and it was just really painful I was like well why didn't that show up in our statistical um, profiling which happens on production actually we, we attach to production and runs a, a brief sample of what's happening but again this is not it's just hard to isolate these low-volume things with these statistical tools. So what actually worked for us is extremely ghetto. It was basically, you know how, Joel, like in code, you would literally say, it is now 100 milliseconds. And then five lines down, you would say, okay, print the current time. 
Yeah. And then 10 lines down, you would say, okay, I've now done this work. Print the time. Basically, we did that. Yep. <laughs> like on, on all the significant pages, like the home page and the question print page. Print F debugging. Pretty much it was print, print F. Print, you know what? Like it was print F, uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly effective. Like all of a sudden, we saw all these things we were doing that were just dumb. That were like, why are we? Why is it taking three hundred milliseconds to pull? You know, actually more than that. Why is it taking one point five seconds to pull stuff from the meta? Like, there's a little widget um, that shows like recent meta questions, and like that was taking one and a half seconds every sixty seconds. We're like, why is that taking so long? Why was but it taking so none... long? Um, I'm trying to remember. I'm kind of blanking out on that, but it was really—it was just one of those really simple things that once you saw, it's like, oh, obviously we shouldn't have done that, you know. But I mean, right? How would we have known that? It's Are like we going the to... simplest possible tool figure, helped us figure this out. We we have made massive performance improvements. Basically, is there we like a, improved. Is there like a Redis server? Is there like a box that says I'm Redis server? Yes. So there's two actually. So if if I'm a They're web master server, and slave. so one's backing up. It's an in-memory sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yes, so is. if I'm like the 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 web server, I got to talk to a Redis box and a SQL box. Yes, yes, that's right. Okay, that's right. Is that's there any kind of it. like um, caching in memory locally, so I don't have to go out to the network yes. for certain things? We we refer to this as like level one, level two, sort yeah. of level three type caches. Like the level one cache would be okay. I'm only going to cache this on the web server itself, and I, and when you do that, you know you're opting into, you know. It doesn't scale across web servers, so you might be doing some additional work. Mm-hmm. Like servers one through ten will all try to pull this into their memory. Right. Um, but sometimes you want that, right? Sometimes you just okay. don't care, and it just needs to happen really fast. And you have tons of memory. It's like and you're going to use you make it a lot decision. of times. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and then the level two cache is what we consider the Redis cache, which is like, okay, we don't want to go to the database. That would be level three or almost disk, basically. Right. Um, so we're going to query network. So you're paying the penalty of network latency. Which is, you know, significant. I mean, it's like ten milliseconds, probably minimum. Right. Just to go reach across the network, talk to the Redis server, yeah, get the data back, I and mean, you got to transfer it and all that stuff. But it's still way faster than um, hitting the database or. Well, some people might data. actually run into like the network being choked, you know, being full from trying. To... We've upgraded the network pretty substantially. I, I mean, you'd have to you have... do. Uh, I thought. Well, not us, I but I mean, the kind of people that have like. A thousand front ends all trying to talk to a Redis box at some point. That network segment is going to be. Sensitive. Yeah, well, networking is one of those layers that you can sort of tack as a separate problem. I know, that, I know that Kyle and George did buy like fancier switches mm-hmm. that are just more high end, more faster. Um, I don't think we've done you know ten gigabit yet, but we certainly have a really optimized gigabit layer. Also on Blog Server Fault, they found a really nice tweak from Intel. Intel has. Um, sort of special driver optimizations that help sort of pipeline networking that actually did help. Hmm. We, you, should, you should read that because that was basically like 10% performance increase for free. It's like all you did was install the Intel sort of accelerators that sort of, because Ethernet as a standard was developed like what, in 1983? <laughs> it's going a lot faster than it used to. Yeah. And sometimes like you can do some things like coalescing, like if there's 10 requests, you sort of merge them all into one request. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, it's, it, it's, I'm, vastly oversimplifying, but just go read that post because it was really good, and that was like free 10% performance. I mean, we saw that on the bottom line because we were doing this ghetto profiling that I talked about, mm-hmm. and we saw times go from, say, like, uh, I don't know, 60 milliseconds to like consistently like 50 milliseconds. Like, it just shaved 10% right off the top. So cool. that was a nice optimization. So my point is with networking, you can attack a lot of that stuff, sort of just make networking awesome. is something you can, you know, give as a task to someone and they can make it happen. And then you know, just layers, right? So you can work together. They don't need to care about the code. You know, in my day, when you got the clock time, it only had uh, 55 millisecond granularity. That's how Because, <laughs> the you know, there was like some kind of system thing. You call it like get tick count or something. And yes. I, I just remember profiling in the old days and it'd be like, why does everything either take zero milliseconds or 55 milliseconds? Sometimes 110, but usually zero or 55. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, milliseconds is a surprisingly good unit of measure. I mean, we've gotten... But I think they, they have better clocks drums. now than, than they did in those days. Yeah, well, metaphorically speaking, on the CPU, yes. Yeah. You can get some really, really high-resolution timers right. that are sort of natively supported. Yeah. But the good news for people using Stack Overflow and any, really any Stack Exchange site is we've made tremendous strides in improving the, the, the empty cache performance, first of all, because that tends to be fairly significant on uh, particularly metas. But also the main sites on some of the smaller yeah, sites. Yeah, we had done a bunch of work on that on Stack Exchange 1.0 because that was, um, 
it, at the time that Stack Exchange 1.0 forked from Stack Overflow, the um, there was almost no optimization for that because there were not that many sites. There were well, there were oh, yeah. three maybe, and um, and so there was really no need to optimize for an infrequently used site because we didn't have any. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so, and, and the good news is, like, when we improve this, it does actually help Stack Overflow in those, you know, three people that hit the uncached state of, say, the Java tag. Right. For those three people, it did get like, you know, four times faster. Um, and and it also helps you with Google crawling because Google crawling is weird in that it's like a user going to some ancient question that nobody has visited in like a year. Mm-hmm. Right. So none of the cache is there. Mm-hmm. And the other th- odd thing about this is Google sort of uses those speed metrics to sort of rank you a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to make sure <laughs> that for Google, like Google doesn't see you as a release. We're not a slow site to be clear, but when Google hits us, they see a totally different performance profile than sort of the average user browsing the site because they're just hitting stuff that's like so far out of cache. That's oh. like a year old that nobody has looked at. I mean, it might be a perfectly good, good question but that three people see every year. And Google uh, doesn't distinguish between that and the one that gets hit all the time. No, they don't. But 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 to be fair, it's the same. It's universal, meaning any site that has a lot of long tail content, like we do, would get treated the same way. There, there's no there's no like special treatment or anything. But it does sort of behoove you to optimize these weird, no cache. You know, who the heck is even going to go to this? Why should we optimize this? You almost have to optimize that first, even though you don't really need or want to. Um, you know, for the, for the small site case and for the Google case. It always drives me crazy whenever somebody like links to one of those to a page that's been gone for 27 years so they link to it in the um, internet archive the Wayback Machine mm-hmm. and I get the feeling that like when you go to a certain page there like a little robot like sort of drives off its pedestal goes down the hallway into a room you know pulls out its keys from its little robot pocket unlocks the room goes in there goes to a shelf takes down a tape brings it back to its desk jumps back up on its little chair shoves the tape into its little desk and then just starts looking around on the tape trying to find that web page that you wanted. And you know, 45 minutes later, the web archive machine is like, here you go. Here's Joel and yeah. software from 2001. I know. Well, you know what's great about Internet? I, I didn't appreciate how few sites are really even attempting to archive the Internet. I mean, there, a I lot of there times, like, there's just that Internet. There's that Wayback machine, and it's awful. Like, it, it's, gotten, it's gotten much worse. But uh, it's like the only, nobody else is even trying to do it. And, I, I mean – so much internet history would be lost. Those guys are doing it's incredibly. Gone. It's gone. Just work. try and find thespot.com. That was like the biggest thing for a year. Do you remember that? Yeah, way back. This was like 1996. Yeah, everybody was like, and it was like, how did they get digital photographs so quickly up on the web? Like, it's like the next day they got digital photographs on the web. You're like, that should take like, aren't you, they should spend, send it away to a special processing center. You got to get your SCSI scanner out, yeah. scan the photos. I. I, I don't I don't know if anybody even had those. They had negative scanners and stuff like that. It was it was um, uh, it was I I literally remember it was before digital cameras, so they would have had to have developed the photographs. It's insane. Anyway, thespot.com and and if you try to figure out what the hell happened there, you can't you can barely find anything left on 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 the uh, on the way. That's why we 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 do a lot of charitable donations at the end of the year, and I specifically this this year targeted them. I mean, it was only a thousand dollars, but you know, I mean. I really encourage people to support, like actually support with your real money, the Internet Archive, because they're doing incredibly important historical work. And I wish more organizations would sort of fund them, mm-hmm. basically. I feel like Internet history is, there's no other way to get it. Like, mm-hmm. it's just lost forever. Uh, and then it all got, scary. at some point it got quietly damaged because um, everybody claimed that this was a big old copyright violation. And so they, I think they, they decided that they would only... I think they would they would only archive it like after six months, or it was like in limbo for six months before they would show it to you. And so, an enormous amount of content got excluded. They also, uh, you know, don't have images. They don't even bother trying to store the images and and uh, CSS. Well, no, they like they that. do images. They still do images. Yeah, barely. But you're saying in some times. period they decided not to do that? Yeah, I don't know why. I, I don't know what it is, but like half the time you can't really figure out what you want from the from the page. Like the, 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 the there are enormous numbers of websites that are just not getting archived. Mm. Yeah, well, it's a tough problem. We are. It's a tough. Now I'm gonna. Yeah, we are. I actually, I looked at it the other day. In oh, fact, good. it had an archive version of the the Stack Overflow beta, uh-huh. which looked a little different. So yeah, if you're curious, you can go to Wayback and look at Stack Overflow when it was it was it fell like the actual history of the domain. Even it's this is really interesting history. This is my point. Like nobody else is doing this. Where else can you go and see for StackOverflow.com the domain? Forget us, the domain. Like what it looked like. 
five years ago. That's, that's awesome. Funny. Let's go I see mean, what. That's, yeah, that's a, we didn't even exist five years ago, so that's pretty cool. Well, that's my point. Is like there was something else there. What was it? <laughs> yeah. How else would you find this? You you can't. There was nothing there. Oh yeah, there was. Oh oh, there's their cartoon. There's that cartoon that you put up there from Science Cartoon. Sports. Yeah, the cartoon is there, which is funny. That was fun to the revisit. Harris cartoon. Yep. Yep. And then there's here's then, the. Uh, when there's a little time scale somehow? thing. It'll show you like nice. a time graph, and you click on the time, and it's really cool. Uh, okay, August. We weren't live in August. 2008 that's i think september it's really soon after that oh here we are but it doesn't have css or anything so it's impossible to figure out what's going on here it's kind of a mess well, it should have css for some of it it depends pick a different stamp uh november archived now it's just looking wrong hmm. well it's not a perfect system but it's still the only system like it that's all we got that i know of yeah yeah so another thing I wanted to talk about is the uh, this idea that we're flirting with on the network that questions can now be too simple. Basically, they're reference questions. Oh, yeah. We should talk uh, about that. That's a good one. Yeah. So there's there's a blog entry about this. Let me make sure I reference it. We've used it on and, English language site because people would say, what does animal mean? Yeah. Right. The, the blog entry is called, are some questions too simple? Um, which is kind of been a complaint of mine. Now, you and I had a little bit of a difference of opinion on this. I don't think it was a really serious difference, but the one example is like, you know, the how do I move the turtle in logo? But the, it's, the nice thing about this is it's not, and for a lot of the stuff we do, it's not It's not a simple rule. It's like, okay, don't do X. It's like, use your brain, right? <laughs> We're not saying turn off your brain and just follow these rules. We're saying, no, no, right. no, please turn on your brain. It's your greatest resource. We want you to use that thing, man. Yeah. So when we give you guidelines, they're guidelines. They're not, you know, hard and fast rules by which you will smite the, you know, people that that violate the rules. It's just right. let's think about this. Yeah. And there's a nice flow chart. And for example, the one that Joel brings was how do I move the turtle and logo? And Joel's defense of this, as I recall, Joel, yeah. was that there was no other place in the internet to get this information. If you follow the little flow chart, it's very simple. It's like well, four questions. Yeah. That is one of the questions. Like, is there I, any I, other I will play? retroactively use that defense, although at the time, and you'll have to go back to that <laughs> podcast, I think that my defense was that we were going to be the Wikipedia programming and that we should have all answers to all questions, including that one, uh, in, just in Q&A format. I just wanted to have all material. Like the, the original, my original idea, which is not what we ended up going with, I guess, was that we would Well, have it's all an adaptation. I mean, I, I sort of see where you were going with it. I don't totally disagree. I think it was the spirit of it. My main complaint about that was... It has questions ultimately have to be interesting to the people that are doing the work of answering them. If you start failing consistently, failing it's ever it's okay for every once in a while there be a, a, a you know a slow pitch you know uh, underhand lob that's just this really simple question that that's fine if it happens every day, but if it's happening five hundred times every every six hours. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's some other experts like, you know what? Screw this. I'm out of here. I mean, I can give a different example, which is right now, if you go to answers.onstartups.com, every day there's one question of the form. I have built a product, website, and or service, and I didn't get any customers. How do I market my product, website, or service? Um, People just don't know how to do that. And that's like a super hard thing, and there's no one answer. And it's like if we knew the answer to that, we would all be rich. You know, if anybody knew the magical way you – automatically get a million people to look at your website product or service then well, that's, you could make that's an infinite localized. number of companies it, isn't that the two look no it's worse than two localized it's like there is no answer like the, the answer it, it's sort of like well i got this pain and i got a medical book now what it's like well go to medical school or get a doctor or something i mean this is really really hard and and it's not going to be solvable you know i mean probably half of the companies that start to get started fail because they have they build a product website and or service and fail to get an audience to go visit that product website and or service even if there there would be people in the world who could benefit from that thing they just don't get them to go there and uh well, that's a hard problem but but the well, point is wait the point would, is wait hold on hold on the point is that that question shows up every day on answers.onstartups.com and at some point it's such a beginning question and so and requires you can ask it in one sentence but the the correct explanation would start at the length of a book and so there's such an asymmetry between how much knowledge you have and how much knowledge we can give you that the site's not going to work for that question. Well, the only thing I was going to point out there is you wrote a great blog entry about um, the, the Wikipedia 
uh, the long tail Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me look it up. Where your point, as I recall, was that when people are asking the same type of question over and over in like endless subtle variants of the same question, whether it's wrong or right or it doesn't matter, you, you eventually have a canonical question answer pair you can point them to. Mm-hmm. You know, so that rather than because again, it's boring for the people answering the questions. I mean, this is really right. as I, as I've done this for two and a half years, I realized that most of our job is to make sure the people answering the questions are having a good time. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not satisfying those people, yeah, you are screwed. It goes away. Like your your site's not going to be around for long. Right. And and that's why um, the protection that you're trying to offer is okay. This is just boring, right? This is these are too simple. These are ridiculously simple. Yes, I can answer them, but that's just not entertaining. That's not fun for me as an expert, right? Um, a little bit is tolerated. That's why we came up with the, the are some questions too simple, and we're playing with that close reason general reference on sci-fi and English, and it was on how things work, which is now defunct. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also why, if you're asking questions that aren't necessarily too simple, but are the endless variants of the same thing, you know, just subtle. It's like how do I write a <laughs> a rewrite rule that does this, a rewrite rule that does this, a rewrite rule that does this? It's like well, okay, well all rewrite rules are kind of the same, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same logic. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's some magical, you know, uh, way to to come up with different rewrite rules. It's the same formula, uh, but there's endless variants of them. So you have this canonical. Here's how you think about writing a rewrite rule. Here's some resources you can go to. Here's some common patterns. There you go. Have fun. You know, write your rewrite rule and stop bothering us. <laughs> Okay, so wait. So that, that's something I want to bring up then, if if we are. Okay, and I, want, I just want to mention that the, the blog entry is called the Wikipedia of Long Tail Programming Questions. It's a really, really good one, and that's what I tried to summarize Wikipedia there. Long Tail. Okay. Um, so then here's my question, which is sort of related to this, which is that what we've been alluding to is the idea that there are good questions and bad questions, and a good question, it, you know, it's okay to say how do I move the turtle and logo if you then say. You know, I can no longer find any reference for this online. Or yes. the documentation says I should say move 10, 20, and I'm typing move 10, 20, and, you know, the screen blows up, and I get an error message that says your turtle is sick. Uh, what do I do now? So th- there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a certain form of question. How to ask a question on the Internet, I think, is a, is a, is a well-known art, or not a well-known art, but a well-documented art. I think Eric Raymond wrote it, right? ESR wrote the Yes, original. it's like 20 million words. Yeah, very annoying. Like, here's how to ask a question and not piss people <laughs> off. And it's essentially like, do your own damn research. And like, all, and, and when you can prove that the research that you did after six and a half hours is leading absolutely nowhere, then you may ask an absolute minimum question in which you completely describe all the research <laughs> that you've done. Right. And exhaustively humiliate the people that wrote the answers to the previous questions yes as long as you write a dissertation first (laughs) then then and only then may you ask a question right but i think what that's getting at is there has to be some reasonableness to your ask like you can't just go on and say i i want to be a doctor what do i do now you know you can't and you know and then the answer is all medical knowledge (laughs) well to me as a person trying to answer it's a little bit offensive it's like well you put no effort into this exactly and And you want me to put a lot of effort the asymmetry exactly and what you really want is just you put meet us halfway. Of... I mean, not even halfway. Meet us twenty-five percent of the way, man. Exactly. I, so... I, I constantly have to defend this too. And there's, there, I think there's certain people have a little bit of a Mother Teresa complex. Sometimes people have different ways of looking at this. That's fine. But I believe they have a little bit of a Mother Teresa complex. And it's like we can save every internet user, right? Like, <laughs> I must no teach how bad, all internet users how to ask questions. Yes, we'll we'll save them and we'll fix them. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's noble. That's a noble goal insofar as it goes. But it is completely unsustainable. Like you're going to burn out. Everyone you know is going to burn out. You're going to hate yourself, and you're going to end up hating these people. That's right. what I am trying to tell you. Walking down the street, just ranting loudly and and, and gesticulating madly, like a, okay. So here's what I suggest. And you know, one of the things that has always been a weak point of Stack Overflow has been voting on questions, and I don't think it's happening enough yet that people have. I, I may be wrong here, but a lot of times, no, you're right. People just don't know when, when to vote for questions and when to not vote for questions, and some people are like, well, that's kind of interesting. And some people think it's like Reddit, like uh, this should be on the front page, blah, blah, I'm going to vote it up. Um, but, and, and I want to now combine that thought with another thought, which is um, that stuff now scrolls off the homepage very, very quickly. And I think there's a perception, I don't know if it's true, that if your question doesn't get answered right away, you run the very serious risk that it scrolls off the homepage and it will not get answered. Well, first of all, you have to be careful because we changed completely the way the front page works. Um, it's no longer really it, it 
on Stack Overflow specifically, it's the yeah. only site we have that has this huge volume where mm -hmm. that was the problem. Joel has correctly summarized the problem. There's two things that you that you said that were definitely correct. One, there's not really enough voting questions. That's true. Mm -hmm. uh, second, when your volume of questions is such that, you know, if you just list the last hundred questions on the homepage, mm -hmm. they're going to scroll off before anyone has a meaningful chance to look at them. Mm -hmm. Those are both very, very true. But I just want to point out that we did um, change the way the homepage works. And, and let me actually, uh, it's called, the blog entry is called Stack Overflow Homepage Changes. I really urge everyone who uses Stack Overflow, you need to read this. This is really, if you, unless you never look at the homepage, mm -hmm. which for some people is true. Um, but our goal in that redesign was to say, look, since we can no longer show you the last 100 questions because it's insane, we're only going to try to show you 100 questions that were relatively recent mm -hmm. that you might be interested in. Mm -hmm. It's basically an interest filter on the homepage. Um, now, of course, this requires you to participate in Stack Overflow to some degree because mm -hmm. let's say you just come to Stack Overflow for the first time. You've never seen it. We don't know anything about what you like. So you basically get the old behavior, which is we're just going to show you 100 sort of maybe interesting things that, right. that aren't sucky. Right. Um, but as you participate, we just figure this out. Okay, mm -hmm. I, want, I want to point out you don't have to mark any favorite tags. It helps if you do. If you start saying, hey, my favorite tag is Java, and I really dislike .NET. I don't want to see any .NET. If you tell us that, that feeds directly into this algorithm. Okay, But if, you just, if you're the type of user that all you do is click on Java questions all day, guess what we figure out? Automatically without any input from you, <laughs> that you, you kind of like Java. <laughs> you might. Uh, even if you don't vote or anything like that. Just it the might fact just that become you visited, a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> it could, but I don't think so. Well, Not we with have Java. Maybe with something better. Yeah. We have threshold. Don't be dissing Java, man. We, um, <laughs> we, uh, we have pretty high threshold, so we're not going to accidentally think that you like, you know, Python, if you accidentally click oh. on a Python question, all of a sudden your homepage is going to be all about Python. But I do want to point out that if you use the homepage on Stack Overflow specifically, it's it's doing a very different thing than all the other sites. Um, right. And right. so far, it seems to be working. The one complaint that we got was all of a sudden we suppress things that have answers hmm. on this in this world because like why would we show you things that already have answers? Like they they I mean a good number of answers, not like one answer, but like it has an accepted answer, like three answers. It probably has enough answers. Do we really need four, four five, six, seven answers? You right. see what I'm saying? Like in a world where there's hundreds of questions that need answers. We're not going to show you things that have already been reasonably answered. So one of the complaints we got was like, "Wow, the homepage, nothing's getting answered," you know, because all actually, they saw was a homepage. Yeah. That and, and, and actually, the number answered. of questions getting answered did actually go go up quite significantly. Oh, it definitely went up yeah. because we started we, again. Think about it. You have you have you have a hundred questions to show someone. Why would you show them stuff that already has a solution? Right. You want them to help with the things that don't yet have solutions. So yeah. this was a really radical change, and it was kind of subtle in that the homepage, unless you sort of read the blog and knew this was happening, you're like, ooh, Weird. you know, all of a sudden nothing has answers on the homepage. Stack Overflow must be broken. Must be failing. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in a nice way. Nobody really said that, but they were just concerned, I think, understandably. But you have to read that blog entry to understand why, and this has definitely been successful. I okay, mean, so here's the general strategy of – go ahead. Yeah. Well, my suggestion is, listen, uh, is, and we, we, already, we already do this mechanically. We just need to get the community to do this, which is right now, um, I believe we, we, uh, the question score will make something more likely to appear on the homepage. So we uh, need to teach people to vote up questions that are well asked, even if they don't understand the question at all, even if they don't know the answer. It's like, like people should, should learn that a useful thing to do is when you see a question, if it looks like the person did the work, if it looks like they did their homework, if they're asking a very, very specific question and they're documenting exactly what they got and, and their question is clear and easy to understand, just just give them a little upvote on the question so that they stay on the homepage a little bit longer and are more likely to get an answer. And then the ones that, you know, where it's just somebody saying, uh, you know, Word doesn't start. I tried to start Word and it's not starting. Just just don't give it an upvote. It's not a good question. Or the ones where somebody's saying, you know, how do I make a Facebook clone using a programming um, um, so I'm getting a that's, little that's, that's bit my... of, do I sound, okay? that's great advice. And I, I want to follow on with that. Is my quality okay? You sound, you sound uh, good. Yes. And I know okay. I sound good because I'm recording this locally. So it's all on your side. Okay, great. So I will just ignore that then. Cause I can, I can definitely hear you. Yeah. Um, one thing we've done is I totally agree. There's not enough voting on questions. Uh, and I think it's, it's a hard problem to solve because 
A, I think answers are just fundamentally more entertaining to vote on because answers are really the unit of work in a Q&A system. As much as I say this over and over, and, and, and I know people sometimes resist it, but it's really true. Answers are really where the action is. Questions, I mean, yes, there is this idea of a great question. There are great questions, but, but answers are what people want. The world is full of questions. The world isn't really full of answers. Um, so I think you have that asymmetry to begin with. Like answers are just more, always going to be more attractive to vote on than questions. Um, and we do what we can with education. You're also pulling from a a common pool of votes, right? So every question that you vote on, assuming, let's say you use up all 30 of your votes every day. Well, there's a cost to that. The cost is now I can no longer vote on one question or one more answer. Maybe we should, uh, we could address that. We should let you let you vote on 10 questions and 20 answers or t- 10 questions and 30 answers or 20 questions and 20 answers or we could do something like that because i think the the intent was to have your votes mean something like when you yep. have a, a, a pool of votes if you have an infinite number of votes it's like well who cares i can sure. vote voting stops this can meaning be the same. i just all i want to all i want to see is people getting in the habit of upvoting questions because they're well asked and because yes. they deserve to be answered a little bit more than their sibling questions because um, the front page will 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 do that will do the work for you if you do that and get those questions answered. I tried that last night. I just thought just for fun I'd go through all the questions, and you know make a judgment call of you know is this well asked? Could somebody answer this if they understood this topic? And I can do that without knowing anything about the topic. You can immediately tell what the good questions are that you would like to see getting an answer, and what the not so good questions are that you couldn't care less because the person either didn't make the effort or um, doesn't know what they're talking about or is asking you to do their homework. I totally agree. I mean, the more I think about this, the more I think we may need just a dedicated pool of votes. Now, one thing we have done to help with this is if you come through a web search engine and you arrive on, say, Stack Overflow or Serverfall or any Stack Exchange site, mm-hmm. and you actually hold a cookie mm-hmm. for that account, meaning you've, you, you have an account on that site, and you're able to vote, we will gently remind you that, hey, you arrived here through, say, a Google web search. If you uh-huh. found this question useful, please vote it up and the answer, of course. But really, the... the We've seen this happen on Twitter uh, where people would say this, and Kevin Montrose has been retweeting them. And I think for the same reason, like that's the ultimate value proposition for any Stack Exchange question. You found it in a search. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of this exercise. Mm-hmm. Therefore, as long as you have an account and you have the rep, vote it up, man. I mean, that's we want those kind of things to go to the top because they're working. You know, mm-hmm. you found it and it helped you. It's like, oh my gosh, this is exactly the answer to the question that I had. So we do explicitly have a little div that pops up and says, hey, you know, looks like you're trying to write a letter. No, mm-hmm. just kidding. Um, it just reminds you to vote. So we, we are doing things in this area, but talking through this, I'm wondering if we should have a pool of votes just for questions, so you don't have to have the make that yeah. value distinction. Of, there could be some. Oh, um, there could be some badges for that, like used up all of your, you know, question votes. So it's just like one more activity that we want to encourage people to do, you know, while they're browsing around on the site. Uh, yeah, and the other thing I want to mention is when stuff gets closed as off-topic. Like just purely off topic, like not yeah. migrated to Stack to Server Fault or migrated to some other site in the network, yeah. uh, which we do support. You can actually migrate anywhere in the network now. Um, if it's just off topic, then that's that's a downvote that applies to the question because the thinking is okay. If you asked an off topic question, uh, we're not trying to be mean, but we have to value the question with less. It, that question now has less value than sure. a question that was on topic that yeah. isn't isn't good, uh, right? That gets a free negative one from community. So even if you don't like to downvote questions, try to get them closed as off-topic if they're truly off-topic. And then the other one is not a real question where, like, you can't even tell what's being asked. It's you know, like, I well, was... <laughs> that gets a free negative one because was... you're right. The problem yeah. we had was not enough people were voting on questions. We couldn't use question votes to really sort questions, which was really hurting us. We actually so... have um, so many different ways to, to provide a negative about a question. There's vote to close, flag, and downvote. So that's that's right. The only three, and you can go edit it to say bad person. Well, we've done a ton of stuff with flagging that I'll have to talk about next week. Flagging yeah. has become like a major, major thing now for us. But we have three ways to say this question sucks, and only one way to vote it up. Right. And oh yeah, totally, accept. totally. Just sort of. But I mean, I mean and votes comment. is the big one, right? I mean, you, you, you're right. There's not it's enough voting on questions. Yeah. And you know, props to you know Adam Davis who brought this up on Meta and really called us on it because we were proposing a bunch of things, and Adam Davis was was like, you know what, none of this is going to work. He's like, you know why? Because there's not enough voting on questions for this to work. And I was like, wow, you're right. This this totally doesn't work. All right, um, well that could be our campaign. Let's get more voting on questions. I'm, right, I'm just little... writing this down for next week. I'm talking about flagging. Flagging. I can put that on my 
of my list of, of things to talk about too. Yeah, we can mention it to Scott podcast. Hanselman. Did you have anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, well, uh, about our Sharpies. Oh, my God. Oh, wait. That was my thing, so I can cross this off. This was That was already on my list, the thing I just said. Um, <laughs> Sharpies. We have Sharpies. Um, there, there's a, there's not just an, any Sharpies. What kind of Sharpies, Joel? Stack Exchange Sharpies. Yes, retractable. retractable. No, not just any Sharpie. Retractable, and they're blue. Retractable blue stickers. I mean, I'm starving. unbelievably excited about this. But then I am the guy who gets excited about stickers, so be careful. Down the throat of a retractable Sharpie, you see there's a little door in there, and, and pressing the button actually flips open the little door. And this is why we have Civilization, out. Joel, so they can invent like amazing, kind of miraculous stuff. things like the retractable Sharpie. Just miraculous. Uh, this is incredible. You could possibly even safely wear this in a shirt. Not, try not to wear it in an expensive <laughs> shirt pocket. Sans pocket protector. Is that what you're saying? Well... Not an expensive shirt, like I'm saying, but a cheap shirt. Yes. Yes. Maybe a shirt, you know, from Target. It's, it will leak less often than a regular Sharpie with no cap. And we're also going to get blue uh, whiteboard markers, correct? With Stack Exchange uh, branded. Whiteboard markers? Producer Alex, do you know anything about these? Down the line, he says, which means no. Um, and we oh. also have uh, Uniball uh, Deluxe pens that say Stack Exchange. And all this stuff can be purchased online. We might as well at, just say where it can be purchased, right? At store dot, uh, store.stackexchange.com. It's it's not completely stocked with things. Yeah. But, uh, the stock is, well, we're not announcing it on the blog yet, but for podcast listeners, a little special gift. You yeah. can uh, check it out. But just don't be careful because don't expect things to be in stock. Yeah, it says you but can it purchase But it's a beta. Sharpies, we want people. dollars And they're stickers, too. Yeah, and, and it, is, it, it is a functional beta. If you yeah. order something, you are supposed to get it. <laughs> you can get Emmett. Emmett will come to your house for $15. Oh, no, wow. it's a T-shirt. Sorry. Wow. Emmett. That's a bargain. <laughs> I'm going to order a couple Emmets. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good. Because one of the main re- major requests we were getting was, you know, how do we get stuff to people? And this store is, is a major way for us to make that happen because it's just logistically it was difficult. It's we because right. we totally want to get everybody T-shirts and, and, and you know, birch Sharpies and pens and whiteboard markers. Logistics um, have been and of course improved. stickers, my favorite. I still think there should be an entire currency based on stickers. Like we should just stop having money and just, you know, pay people in stickers. Yeah, I think that. Let's would see, work. what are the requirements for a currency? It has to be, it has to be acknowledged by everyone as 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 having value. <laughs> it has to be limited in quantity. It has to we be can durable. Do that. It's durable. Stickers are durable. Very durable. They're Vinyl. pretty durable. I mean, if you peel them. I mean, you, you, they, would, they would lose a lot of value if you stuck them to something. But then the cool thing is, like, there's a Pokemon, like, got to catch them all aspect to it. It's like, how valuable is this currency? That's, you know? that's more of a collectible than a currency, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but combining the, the power of the collectible game with the currency, we could have, like, a whole new world. Well, all right, so here's the question. Let's say you, you open up, your, you, go, you, know, you go down to the local coffee shop, and you're going to buy coffee and a cookie. And you open your wallet, and you see that you've got in there um, a bunch of, U.S. currency, some Hello Kitty got, stickers, and you also got a whole bunch of Stack Overflow stickers. <laughs> and you say to the guy, "I want to buy coffee and a donut. How much is it?" And he's like, "Well, it's either two Stack Overflow stickers or two bucks." Like, Wait, you take Stack Overflow stickers, really? It's like, "Yep, we accept Stack Overflow stickers." Now, which do you use? Do you use the dollars or the Stack Overflow stickers? Well, that's interesting because it also highlights one issue with the system, which is maybe he's not into Stack Overflow. You know, it's, <laughs> how do you? Have a perceived value. It's like maybe he likes the Hello Kitty stickers. Which it are doesn't cool, matter. You know? He likes them. He loves the Stack Overflow. He wants the Stack Overflow stickers. Well, I think you got to go with the stickers. Okay, so that means that you think that the U.S. currency is more valuable because you're trying to get rid of your Stack Overflow stickers and you're trying to hoard your U.S. Oh, currency that you, you have in your me. wallet. You what can I say? That's how I'm just. That's the economics of, of currency. It's called bad money uh, um, washes out good or something. There's some expression like that that the economists use. Well, we just, we just have to abolish regular money first. That's and then there's only <laughs> okay. one option. And there's only stack of those stickers. It's uh, pretty simple. We'll just be discussing that on money.stackexchange tomorrow. All right, I think we've uh, we pretty much used up uh, all the tape left on this real-to-real tape recorder that, uh, over at producer Alex's uh, desk. So hey Joel, are we doing a reader the, uh, or listener questions at all anymore? Um, well, we'll we'll start to introduce these. Things. I wanted to introduce things one at a time in kind of a casual okay, fine. way. Fine. So starting next week, uh, we're going to have guests. And then the uh, next thing we're going to introduce is live podcast listening. So some of our listeners, and we'll tell you about this next week so that you can be ready, 
can tune in on Tuesday at uh, 8 p.m. GMT, 4 p.m. New York time, 1 p.m. West Coast time to listen to the podcast as it is recorded, and you'll hear all kinds of mistakes being made and swear words and stuff. Uh, but you'll actually hear the podcast as it is recorded, and there'll be a chat room uh, whereby you can communicate with the other people who are listening to the podcast as it is recorded, and, and you can sort of interact with us that way. So that'll be a way uh, to introduce listener questions into the into the feed. Okay, great. And Looking that will, that, that'll start. Let's I, let's just just to say that we're going to start that the week after next. So next week we're just starting the guests. We're we're doing this bit by bit. We're also going to add a video feed and all kinds of other cool stuff as time goes on. Nice, awesome. All right, cool. Okay. Well, I don't have any announcements because I mean I used to have the automatic like you know call in podcast transcript blah blah blah. Thanks to thanks to our um, sponsor this week. The contentfarm.net, not really our sponsor, but let's just go ahead. And <laughs> we love them anyway. They're them awesome. Shout go there. Out. Yeah. Read all their content. Contentfarm.net, yes. Especially Link to it. Glengarry Leeds, not safe for work. Thank you.